welcome to episode two to the podcast of Biblical Tapestry. Here again, we do a verse-by-verse, book-by-book study of the Word of God and explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the scarlet thread of salvation is found from Genesis to Revelations. We are currently studying in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Today we continue 1st John 1 about a fellowship with God. And here are the questions that we will answer in this study. Is Jesus really God? Did he come to save sinners like us? Does God really care about you? In the second episode, we will look at starting in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. You know, John personally knew Jesus as his human presence as well as now he fully understood that this was the Son of God, the Creator himself. Paul speaks of this perhaps from a new hymn from the believers in the first century in some of the most treasured verses of the Bible found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul is describing in this hymn Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Christ, the creator of the universe, was created, everything was created by him and through him. And Paul, I mean, John, (laughs) obviously, reclined next to him at the Last Supper, next to the creator himself. So we pick up here in 1 John 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. John uses the metaphors of light and darkness. What does that mean? Well, light represents what is good, pure, true, holy, and reliable. Darkness represents what is sinful and evil. So what does John mean by God is light? Well, God is perfectly holy and it is only him alone that can lead us away from the darkness of sin. What does the absence of darkness about the character of God tell you? God is also the only source of light, spiritual light. What claims to God would someone who lives in darkness have? They would have none. Verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Why would someone lie about having a fellowship with God? And there certainly would be evidence of this lack of fellowship, and that evidence would be walking in darkness, walking in sin, missing the mark that God had planned for us. So the question arises, what about your life? What would observers say about you? Do you walk in light or in darkness? What is your fellowship with God like? Well, the false teachers of John's day certainly walked in darkness. 
these were the three claims of false teachers, which were all in error. First claim was that we can have fellowship with God and go on living in spiritual darkness. No, you can't. <laughs> the second claim they said is we must deny bodily desires through rigid discipline alone by human will. Well, that really works. The third thing is they say the opposite of that is, or since this body is going to die anyway, we should gratify every physical lust. While these last two extreme are extremes, one is still very popular today about doing whatever you want, but still false. John was saying that no one can claim to be a Christian and still live in evil and immorality. We cannot love God and court sin at the same time. Obviously, we all still sin and fall short of the mark that God has for us, sure, but John was talking about willful, continual, purposeful walking in darkness. What truth is John referring to at the end of verse 6 where he says, we are lying and not practicing the truth? Well, how do we practice the truth? What must we do? We must repent from those things, which means to turn away from such things as darkness and sin. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. How does Jesus' blood cleanse us from all sin? Well, in the Old Testament, sins were symbolically transferred onto an animal sacrifice. The animal died in their place as a payment for sin, and it was only temporary. God forgave them because of the faithfulness in him and obeying his commands concerning the sacrifice. But what those sacrifices did was anticipate the day when Christ's sacrifice completely removed sin to those who confess, repent, and believe. John 1.29 says the next day, John, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin by its very nature brings death, which is the separation from God. Jesus did not die for his own sins, as he did not have any. He was the perfect sacrifice. However, by his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, he died to allow our sins to be forgiven. When we commit our lives to Christ and thus identify ourselves with him, his death becomes ours. He has paid the penalty for our sins, and his blood has purified us. Romans 6, 1-4 says, What should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, if we believe then that we are to walk in the light and shun the darkness, then we have fellowship with God and with each other. I think we should praise God for his precious gift, this free gift of salvation by grace on the cross of Calvary. First John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Who can claim to be without sin? Some false teachers were claiming that man was not capable of sin. Well, that's obviously a lie. And we should also never let down our guard in how we live our lives. 
in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But even if we are Christians and try to live as we should, again, we will sin. We still need to confess and repent those sins. And here's what God does for us in another beautiful verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Memorize this verse. This kind of confession is not offered to gain God's acceptance. We have that. It is to remove the barrier to fellowship that our sins has placed between us and God. Is it easy to admit faults even to God? And what does it take to confess? Well, it takes humility and honesty to recognize our weaknesses. Why fear confession when God already knows what your sins are? Remember that God is light and exposes all darkness. You can run, but you cannot hide. God will not push us away no matter what we have done. God wants to draw you near to himself, and the promise here is phenomenal. If we confess, what happens? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. God is just. And God will forgive us unconditionally. God wants to forgive us. God wants fellowship with us. God created us with a need to know and fellowship with him. In admitting our sins and receiving Christ's cleansing, we are agreeing with God that our sin is truly sin, that we are willing to turn from it. We are ensuring that we do not conceal our sins from God or ourselves. And we are recognizing that we have a tendency to sin and will rely on God to overcome it. Verse 10 says, If we say we have not sinned and have, we have made him a liar, and his word is not in us. There is no space for denial of sin, period. When people say, I am not a bad person and I have not murdered anyone, what does that actually mean? What should we tell them? Well, all of sin. We all need to confess, repent, and accept Christ, our deliverer and savior, and he will forgive us. Now in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Here John has an affectionate address by calling his readers dear children. He's not talking down to them, but showing affection for them. Many of John's readers may have been his spiritual children or converts from his ministry. So who is he saying is the advocate for sinners? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Satan is the accuser. Christ is the defender. And he defends us by his shed blood. The best defense attorney in the universe is on your side. He has already suffered the penalty 
in your place. Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39 says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us, for us all. How will he not also justify with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Even more, even more he has been raised. He's also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affection or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. <laughs> nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Hebrews 7.24 says, But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Well, I hope this study is bringing you hope and assurance in Christ. Next episode, we will look at God's commands. Take care, and God bless you. <laughs>